I'm Jennifer Nielsen, and this is Let It Glow, episode number two, Love Without Asterisks. Ready, set, glow. Welcome to the Let It Glow podcast, a happy place where you'll learn how to let your soul shine and discover new ways to design your best life. I'm your host, Jennifer Nielsen. Hello, everyone. Welcome to this podcast episode. I have a real treat for you today. I brought in my main squeeze, Talon, to join me in an interview today. He couldn't say no. Hello, We're hello, married. hello. Actually, he could say no, and he does say no. But I was just excited to kind of share what we've learned in our 26 years of marriage. And it's a lot. (laughs) And what I always tell my kids is we may not be the perfect example of a couple that's um, had it all figured out from the very beginning, but we are a perfect example of a couple who never quit. And I think that's something that we've really had to fight for in our lives and in our marriage to really to connect and to work through some of the difficult times. And here we are that we can sit here and talk about it here in the same room looking at each other and... It's just a good place to be. And so I just wanted to be able to share that with you. Some would say 26 years of blisters. <laughs> Thanks a lot. <laughs> so let's just talk about how we met, huh? This is this our little love story. Where where do we meet? Uh, did I catch you smoking in the back of a bowling alley? Where, where did we meet? I don't forget. There was no smoking involved. So Talon's mom's sister and my mom were like best friends growing up. So I always knew of the Talon. And he was three years older than me. So even when we were younger, I think we went and saw Annie together as little kids when his aunt was in town, who was my mom's best friend. So that was kind of the connection. So when he was getting ready to come home from his mission, he served in North Dakota for two years. I ran into his mom. Correction, at, Rapid City, South Dakota mission. <laughs> I ran into his mom at the stereo center. She was getting his Ford Thunderbird with red and tear ready for him because he was coming home from his mission, get a new stereo in there. And she told me about her son that was coming home, and I'm like, yeah, 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 that's great for you. But when I saw him at the bowling alley, it was definitely my interest was piqued. What did you think the first time you met me, hon? <laughs> well, I saw next to where we were bowling, the next lane there was a bunch of high school <laughs> loudmouths. We had just graduated, me and my girlfriends, my girlfriends and I, I should say. They were uh, just laughing and having a good time. And actually, I just didn't pay much attention other than I thought, there's a bunch of girls that like to squill and be loud and (laughs) silly. Well, we had just come from a photo shoot. We had on matching white shorts and high top Reeboks and with coordinating turquoise and magenta shirts with different coordinating scrunchies. So if one had on the turquoise shirt, she had the magenta scrunchie and vice versa. We were looking good. So that was his first view of me. And what I saw when I first met him was he was wearing a red polo shirt with green stripes, and he had on Birkenstocks, which I later found out were Colorado. So he kind of tricked me because he wasn't even really wearing real Birkenstocks. But I thought he was cute. He had these long sideburns, and he just has always had this great smile and this, this big, loud laughter. I mean, he just, it's just, when you're with Talon, you're laughing. That's usually how it works. If you're not wanting to wring his neck, that is. Okay, go on. Well, uh, I think 
remembering, you know, my, my mind slips now that I'm much older, but I remember meeting Jennifer and her girlfriends and thinking to myself, now there's a girl that's full of something, full of fun, full of confidence and just happy and free willing and, uh, was naive, but excited to, uh, have an adventure. And that's, that was my first impressions of Jennifer fun, uh, cute and someone who really would be fun to hang out with. Well, I wanted to hang out with you too, but he was a little bit older and it was tricky because he was my brother's friend. There's kind of that weird, you don't cross that zone if you, unless it's going to mean something. And so I was super interested in talent. I remember going on a trip to Washington, D.C. with my family that summer after we'd met. And I just would just, I was just pining away for him. And he hadn't even asked me out on a date yet, but I couldn't get him off my mind. Just so you know, at this time, I was 17 years old. I had just gone to prom a few months before that. <laughs> no, you were 18. Weren't you? I was 17 when we oh. met. I turned 18 in August. We met in June. I oh, know. Oh, that's right. Okay. It's a little scary. That's right. I was a child bride. Anyway, but I really had this instant connection with Talon. There was, he had this freedom about him and just this, this light that he brought into the room that I really was drawn to. And so he didn't ask me out. And I remember we even had a surprise. My brother threw a surprise birthday party for me. I was wearing this little floral matching outfit with my cute curly hair and feeling pretty good. And, and Talon came and I was so excited because Talon was there. And he barely said, Boo. And I just remember being so sad because here I had this amazing, wonderful birthday party because I love surprises. And Talon was there, which made it even better, but he still didn't ask me out. And I could feel this connection with us, but he was just, I think, a little bit nervous to cross over into that, you know, well, you to that remember, zone. You got to remember you were 18 and, and me being a return missionary, I thought, well, you're 18 and quite young and silly and goofy. And and uh, I didn't think that it would have been appropriate to pursue someone so young. It didn't stop you when we were at MCC. So Tal and I both ended up at college together. And it was just <laughs> made my day when I first, you know, shut up my first day of college. And there he was parking not far from me. So we walked to class together and we didn't actually have a class together, but our classes were nearby. And it took a few days, but he finally ended up asking me out on a date. And I think he felt a little bit more comfortable doing this because my brother was gone now. He was back up at school in Utah. So maybe the pressure was off a little bit. Maybe less strings were attached. I don't know. But he asked me out on a date. So we actually went on our first date probably in September. And we'd met back in June. So it took a little bit of time. You know, when a girl gives you those eyes... And you just, she just gives you that look that I want to go out with you, then you should follow the lead and ask her out. And that's what we did. So you didn't want to ask me out? It was just. Uh, I don't know that I wanted you to ask. I I didn't know that. I I don't know that I wanted not to ask you out. But when you have someone that gives you that look, you're like, okay, I will ask you out. Okay. Well, there you go. (laughs) You felt bad. No, it wasn't that. It was just really obvious. And, I'm not very discreet. Let's be honest. So what did we do on our first date? This should have been my clue of some rough patches ahead. 
Go on, hun. Well, let's 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 lay the let's lay it out. We had gone on many group dates, bowling to the lake, to your house for parties. We've we'd done multiple multiple group dates, and so our first time out, I think I took you to a um um uh, ASU football game or something like that. Um, it was a Mesa High Mountain View football game, and you were wearing your purple Vans. Come on. Okay. These are important details. So it was it was an, an old school rivalry. I went to Mesa High, and we hated Mountain View, and so I wanted to come and check out the game and take my date to a football game. And of course, I was all giddy about it at the time. Little did I know that the rest of our marriage would be spent going to lots of football games. And I'm not much of a sports girl. It's growing on me slowly but surely. You, anyway. forgot, you forgot 31 flavors. We went to 31 flavors afterwards. Remember? Yes, I got coconut macadamia nut ice cream. It was delicious. Okay. And we had fun. We had a really good time. We just laughed and had fun when he wasn't ignoring me watching the game, that is. <laughs> we ended up going to a movie we, later. I think it been, was. We've been married 26 <laughs> years, and we still go to football games. And she still has no clue what's going on, and I still ignore her. <laughs> Some things don't change. But we really did have a good time that night. And apparently Town considered all the other dates, group dates. He didn't even ask me out. They were just big groups of people going together to different places. So we knew that each was other our... very well. We knew each other. But we still, it was our first date. And remember those eyes. <laughs> so he thought he could just give me a kiss on the first date. And I had this rule that I just now enforced because prior to that, I didn't really have that rule. <laughs> it was the biggest joke in the world. Her eyes were telling me something. And so I leaned in to give her a kiss and she said, nope, not on the first date. And it was these eyes that were like, <laughs> it was a joke. So I wanted to kiss him, but you know, you kind of have to have some boundaries there. So I think the second date, I made the move. <laughs> yeah, the second date, the second date, she made up for the first date. So anyway, we dated for a little while, and then I got a little bit nervous because, again, I was 18, and things were moving pretty quickly. And so I kind of sat him down one day, and I said, hey, what's going on here? And he says, well, what do you mean's going on? You're 18 years old. I'm your return missionary. We're not just going to have fun here. Um, or, I mean, what do you what are you wanting from me, like a commitment? Is that kind of how it went down? <laughs> That's not how it went down. We were in her basement, her parents' basement. We were sitting there. Hanging out, and I think we might have been kissing. I don't remember, but I remember. Yeah, we were kissing because you pulled back and you looked at me straight in the eyes, gave me the look that you've always given me, and she said, "When are you kissing other girls?" And I said, "What does that mean? What are you trying to get to?" And she goes, "Well, are you kissing other girls? Because when we kiss, it means a lot to me, and I don't want you kissing other girls." And if you're kissing me, and I said, "Well, do you want do you want me to be your boyfriend? I'm a return missionary. You're 18, and I don't have a girlfriend. If I get a girlfriend, we're going to get married." And the, she gave me those eyes again, <laughs> which made me go, "Oh no, this might be a path that I need." You know, I didn't, wasn't even being serious, and it became real serious. So that's exactly what happened. She gave me those eyes. The eyes were. Uh, yeah, that's kind of what I'm leaning towards. And I'm like, wow, you're 18. Well, you we agreed have no to clue it. What so we're doing. We, he agreed to it. So basically, he agreed to it. And then I got cold feet and ran off to Utah. 
And I did have my one adventure away in Utah, one semester of college at UVCC, which is now UVU. And we kept in contact. He'd come up and visit me. He'd bring me flowers. He'd send me flowers. We both dated while we were you know, apart because we were just trying to figure this out. Because again, I had big plans. I wanted to go on a mission. I wanted to go to study abroad. I wanted to travel the world. Getting married as a teenager was not on my list of things to do. But it just worked out. And when the time came, I just remember, you know, it just kind of got more serious and more serious. And I came home for Easter. I think I surprised you. And I came home for Easter. And then that's when you popped the question. And what was that? Um, I don't remember. No. <laughs> First of all, I don't. I didn't pop a question without you kind of have an idea of what we were doing. Well, we'd already so. talked about rings and stuff. So I think I actually bought my diamond in Utah and then I brought it home. <laughs> so listen, if you're not a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints and you're listening to this podcast, you're probably thinking, what a bunch of weirdos. Um, so there is a bunch of cultural stuff that you're probably missing out on, but we could go a different direction on this. But yeah, I was 21 and she was 18. We were ready to take on marriage. <laughs> Let's get married. Yay. Ignorance is bliss, right? Ignorance so, is, is bliss. But sure. it was tough. So he did propose. It was Easter weekend. He took me up to our family ranch, and he really did surprise me. I didn't know it was happening. And I said yes. And it just it was an exciting time, but I was just struggling with my own fears and you know being scared and just being so young that I ended up just getting really sick. And I remember going, getting all this blood work done, and my white blood cell count was really low. And I just managed to just work myself up into this, this level of stress that was affecting my health. And I just went back to the time before we actually were engaged where I was really pondering and praying and trying to decide if this was what I should do. And I remember I came up with you know the answer that I was to Mary Talon. And yet it was never just an easy process for me because my mind can drive me bananas. And I would feel good about it, and then I would let myself buy into my fears and my concerns and all of that. But I remember my aunt telling me some really powerful advice. She said, did you feel peace when you had that answer? And I said, well, yes. And she said, well, Satan can't duplicate peace. So I always go back to that time. I actually went to the woods by myself and wrote my journal. I still have it about why I wanted to marry Talon. And I remember the gist of it was, is that I knew that he would love me always and accept me how I was. Um, And I didn't know at that time how important that would be because I didn't know what I didn't know. I didn't know some of the things in my life or the things in my past that had kind of played a role into the way I viewed myself or the, the way things would play out later on in our life. But that was one of the number one reasons that I felt like this was the person that I was supposed to marry. And really, as an 18-year-old, I could have married an axe murderer. I just got lucky. He's not an axe murderer. But it wasn't easy. We got married July 21st, 1992. And it was a really beautiful day, very happy day. I might have been late to the, the wedding. Do you want my story now or my point of view? If I like it, I do. So <laughs> let's back up a little bit here. So I, uh, some of the things I distinctly remember about getting engaged was one, I remember talking to Jennifer. It was almost like an interview because she was wringing her hands. And 
I, on the other hand, was oblivious to anything. It was like, oh, this is what you do. You turn 19, you go on a mission, you come home from a mission, and everybody's like, well, once you get home from a mission, you find uh, an eternal companion to get married for time and all eternity. And so that's just what I, that that's just was the next step in my life. I didn't wring my hands about it. I looked at someone who, you know, take her age out of it. I looked at someone that was completely different than, than, the people I had dated in my past, she was funny, goofy, happy, smart. You haven't touched on my physical looks. I'm, I know. I'm going on okay. about your... You better get there Let's quick. go back. Funny, happy. I'm not just a sweet spirit, babe. Silly. And, and then tall, gorgeous. And just something about Jennifer was very attractive. And, and, and it didn't solely lie on her on her beauty her outside appearance it was a lot of the internal things that i saw that she presented and and and, you know i had no clue she hid a lot of those internal battles that she was raged that was raging inside her i didn't get to see that all i saw was i saw a little glimpse of it when she started interviewing me about you know getting married I was just clueless about it. She she was 18 and I was 21, but it could have been flipped and reversed because I was like, well, I'm just doing what everybody's told me to do. And, you know, and I, you're the kind of person I want to be married to. So it was back to our wedding day. Was it the happiest day of your life? <laughs> <laughs> like I said, I had no clue. No one, no one, you know, Gave me a history book of marriage. I had no I, no clue what I was doing other than I remember sitting at, at the temple waiting for you for an hour, at least an hour. I don't even know how long. I was waiting for you to show up with the photographer looking at him like. Um, I think you thought I was a run, runaway bride. But no, I don't know. I showed up. I came. And we had the wedding, and then we went to the wedding luncheon afterwards. And I don't know what we were thinking, but we decided it'd be a good idea to sing Nobody Loves Me Like You Do by Whitney Houston. Oh, oh, no, it wasn't good. And I did write a song for him, too. And maybe at the time, at the end, if we have time, I'll, I'll sing it for you. <laughs> no. But we had this, this the wedding luncheon, and we sang to each other, and I sang to him, and my Uncle Edwin sang to us, and it was just a celebration. And at the very end, it was time for Talon to get up and give the closing remarks. And so we had all this love going on, but the one thing he forgot to do was to mention me. <laughs> I rue this day for the rest of my life. <laughs> you know, the truth of the matter is this. In all humanity, I sit up there nervous, embarrassed, and wanting to leave this place. And I thanked everybody for coming. appreciated everybody's... Um, I think you had one thing on your mind. Sacrifice. <laughs> <laughs> and then I said, all right, see ya. And on the drive from the restaurant to her parents' house where the reception was, I got an earful about how I how I forgot to tell her how much I loved her. We've moved on, though, haven't we? No, not really. <laughs> so there just gives you a little background on how it all began. And there's this one quote that I really love by Donald Miller. He wrote the book A Million Miles in a Thousand Years. And I think when I look at Tal and I being these two just young, I don't even know if you want to call us adults, she's just young people, coming together, I really thought that if I found someone that loved me, 
that that would fill the hole in my heart, fill like some of the emptiness that I had lived with that Talon had mentioned I hid very well. I don't even know that I understood myself, that there was those broken parts in me, because that's all I knew. But I think, you know, a lot of times you go into marriage thinking that that other person's going to fill in the void or it's going to complete us. And this quote that I read, you know, I read in this book really seemed to just tie in some of those feelings that I think we had in our marriage early on. And he says here, having worshiped at the altar of romantic competition or romantic completion, a fantasy that I went into counseling for, I learned not only that another person cannot complete you or your story, I think that's why so many couples fight, because they want their partners to validate them and affirm them. And if they don't get that, they feel as they're going to die. And so they lash out. But it's a terrible thing to wake up and realize the person you just finished crucifying didn't turn out to be Jesus. And I look at so often waiting for talent to say the right thing and to to act the right way or to to do what I felt like he needed to do to prove his love for me. It was, he was set up to fail from the beginning, and really so was I, because we were looking to each other to fill that void, that that need for self-love, that I think it was something that, you know, we we both were trying to figure out. And um it was a process and it was a it was a hard way to begin. We really had very little tools going into our marriage. In my opinion, everybody goes through life dealing with their insecurities and how sometimes how we deal with our insecurities is we ignore them or we put little band-aids over them to try to hide them. And then you get married and you quickly realize um, how big your insecurities are in your life. And if you haven't dealt with them, they come boiling up. If your spouse is unhappy with you, um, you know, all your, all your deep insecurities and, and thoughts come boiling out. And if you're looking for that spouse to love you unconditionally, it's just, it just, it doesn't really happen. And you're trying to change the individual and make them think the way you think, or this makes me happy. So I need you to, to do these things to make me happy. Then, you know, we, we, you just realize, you just realize that, that you think, you know, everything about yourself, or you think that no one can see these insecurities about yourself and they come boiling right to the top. Once you get married, there's no hiding it. I think one important thing to add is that unconditional love is very possible, but that love, that self-love has to come first. And I think when you're looking to the other person to compensate for that or to make up for that or to do, you know, to fill that void, it just doesn't work. I just kind of feel like Tal and I were like playing a game of chicken where we would just kind of, we're waiting for the other person to be vulnerable or to step in harm's way. And if he wasn't going to do it, then I wasn't going to do it. And it was just this childish game of just not really understanding the meaning of real love. And um, there's another quote that I have here by Henry Cloud that kind of explains that. And it says, when two people are entirely and completely separate, they're finally compatible to be one. Nobody's self-worth lives inside another person. Intimacy means we are independently together. True intimacy is the one thing we all want, but must give up control to get. And I think for us, that was really, truly when things began to change. And this took a long time into our marriage. 
and I've talked about this in earlier podcasts, but I started going to get help, not really knowing for what or why, but you know, it, I mean, it started right when we got married. Within a year of our marriage, we were going to marriage counseling. We just didn't know what to do with ourselves. And it, 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 would, it would kind of fade off, and then we'd start up again, and then it would just kind of fade off. And I remember when I finally ended up doing this specific kind of therapy where, like I mentioned before, I began to see my role in what wasn't working and that I couldn't fix Talon. And the only person I could fix was myself. And the beautiful thing that I learned in all of this is that as we do our work, those people around us will shift. And sometimes it's not the shifts that we like, and maybe it's not the exact outcome that we want, but it puts us in a position where we can create something different. And I'm grateful that as I was making these shifts, that Talon joined along and that we decided together to work on ourselves individually so that we could together be stronger. And I it just really took for me understanding that I had a role in what was not working in our marriage and that I wasn't the victim. And we often put ourselves in the role of victim. It's so easy to do. It, we never win when we're in the role of victim. We're giving our power over to our husband, over to the universe, whatever the force may be. We're just giving it over to someone else. And it was the first time in my life that I realized that I could change things in my life regardless of what had happened to me in my past, regardless of what Talon was or wasn't doing, regardless of all the external things that were happening in my life. And it was it was just a really like a light bulb moment for me. And that was the beginning of a really long process that I had to work through. And I realized so much of what I was projecting onto Talon was my own pain. I mean, the way we treat others is just a mirror of how we feel about ourselves. And I remember Steve that this was the therapist that I was going to. He said something along the lines that we attract our level of woundedness. I remember thinking, well, I'm not wounded. It's Talon that's wounded. He's the one that makes me angry. Or he's the one that makes me react this way. It's not, it's not my fault. But I realized that we both came into this marriage with different levels of, of pain and 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 you know, just different issues that we needed to work through, that we were making each other's problem. When in reality, my business is my business, and I made it Town's business. But when we can figure out on our own who we are, that's where the possibility for real love comes in. And I'm going to let Town talk here in just a second, but there is one thing I did want to mention here. I was able to read the book Real Love recently by Greg Bear, And in that book, there's just a lot of amazing nuggets, so I recommend that book. And it's kind of something I feel like we've evolved into over time through lots of work, lots of effort, lots of elbow grease. But one thing he mentions in that book is the difference between imitation love and real love. And really, imitation love comes in the form of praise, power, pleasure, safety. Now, these aren't necessarily a bad thing if they're not used as a bartering tool. But I do think that we were in that pattern early on. Well, if he does this, then I'll do this. Or if he's happy, then I'll be happy. Or if he takes out the trash, then I'll do this. Or whatever the case may be. There was just this bartering going on. We were just trading imitation love. And it just kind of got to that point for us where I wasn't okay with imitation love. He wasn't okay with imitation love. We wanted something different. And really, it came down to four options. And this is what he talks about in the book. And the first option is to change our partner. The second option is to live with him, in my case, or live with it and like it or live with it and hate it, or leave the relationship. 
And really, the first choice is a non-choice, is what he says, because we can't change the other person. If everyone could just get that figured out early on in their marriage, oh my goodness, so much heartache would be avoided because I was the best micromanager. I knew exactly what the hell I needed to be doing. Every time I heard a talk about marriage or I read articles about marriage, I would highlight it just so I could point out to Talon what he needed to fix. But that, that's not the way we go about it. And it didn't, it didn't bring him closer to me. So really, when we're looking at our relationships, do we want connection or do we want to be Right. And really, if I was looking for connection, I'd have let those lists go a long, long time ago. But for us, what we decided we wanted to do was to live with it and like it. Because there was a time when we had chose to live with it, but we weren't really liking each other very much. And I had given myself, in my mind, the permission to to leave the relationship because I was in so much pain that I didn't see any other way. And as I prayed about that and really seeked or sought for an answer. Sometimes my grammar gets <laughs> tumbled up. But as I as I prayed for that answer, I never felt like that was the path that we should take. And Talon likewise never felt like that was a path that we needed to take, but we couldn't keep going on as we were. So we decided to dig in and figure out how to not just live with it, but to like it. So now to you, Talon. How did this evolve for you? Am I allowed to speak now? Hmm. She's giving me hand signals, <laughs> people. She's giving me hand signals. No, I'm not. So, all right, everybody get your notepads out because this is going to be as simple as I can put it. Uh, three three bullet points for, for those who want to keep it simple. Number one, I was told by a religious leader, which was great counsel. Number one was love is the only attribute that can elicit change. And when I was told that, my first thoughts, yeah. Jennifer just needs to love me more. But in reality, as I've thought more and more about this, is it comes within. Love is the only attribute that will elicit change in someone's life. So if I want my wife to change, I need to love her more, more unconditionally. Number two, I tell her all this time. I used to tell Jennifer this all the time, but really it was for me because sometimes I don't think I'm the happiest guy around. But I used to tell her all the time, be shallow happy. Don't have some deep, dark reason to be happy. Let's just be happy. Be as happy as we can be at the moment. Now, that's in, in a perfect world. I mean, easier said than done, but it kind of makes sense. Be shallow happy. You don't have to have a deep reason to be happy. Just try to be as happy as you can be. And that's kind of a a mind shift, I would think. Right? So the the third one, and I've just lost my train of thought here. Let me think you're back. I'm always right. You're always wrong. Well. <laughs> Is that what you're thinking? <laughs> no. Dang it. It's going to come to me here in a second. Keep going. Ask me something else. No, but I think the shallow happy, what he's trying to say is that my brain, I create little worlds, little stories, lots of chatter in that brain. And so if I can just focus on the now and get out of my head and connect with my heart, there's... It's not necessarily being shallow happy. It's just not overthinking things to the point that I can't connect with pure love and pure joy. Okay, I remember. Okay, oh. here it is. My mind is slipping. Okay, the third one is to be super duper fast to forgive because the older I get, the more I realize that what a, what a heavenly trait 
to be able to forgive people fast. Because as we all know, we're not human. And I mean, we are human and we are going to make mistakes. And when you make a horrible mistake where you hurt someone or you hurt someone's feelings, it's a sweet blessing from above when that individual forgives you for what you've done. So there it is. Be quick to forgive. And I don't think it's always those big things that we have to, you know, ask for forgiveness with. It's sometimes just the little things and we don't have to wait for those big opportunities or those big occurrences to to use that that tool of forgiveness. And really forgiveness is just a powerful way to bring love back into your relationship and to choose what you want in your relationship. Choose to be angry or choose to forgive. It is a choice. And I, when my son got married just recently, back in May, I did this post with Talon I's wedding picture on it, and I gave some really valuable advice about what to do when you're getting married. We were married in the 90s, so we had a, there were just a lot of funny little glibs about that. So, But I had people leave their own marital advice, and one of the quotes that someone left was, the first to apologize is the bravest, the first to forgive is the strongest, the first to forget is the happiest. And really, letting go of expectations and being able to forgive allows the other person to be free to be who they are. And really, when we go back to expectations, and he talked about that in that book, Real Love, is that really expectations are a recipe for disaster. We can't expect anything from another human being in the sense that they have their agency, they are who they are. All we can work on is ourselves. And really, anger has no place in any relationships. And we might get angry, might get frustrated, but to act out in anger is is a very quick and easy way to disconnect from the person that that usually that we love. And so, these are just things that we've tried to evolve and to to work into our relationship and change some habits that we started early on that weren't the best habits or the best patterns. So, do you like the three things that I said? They're great. I'll remind them. I'll remind you of them later when you're not forgiving me as easily as I think you should. No, but really forgiveness is a big one. and um, Being quick to forgive. Quick to forgive. I will have to say he's quicker to forgive than I am. Sometimes I just like to pat a little bit longer. But um, I'm just grateful that we've been able to give each other the gift of freedom to be ourselves. And really, I think that's, that the, the biggest key in a healthy relationship is healthy boundaries, loving ourselves, and letting go of the expectations of how our spouse should be. And again, this takes a lot of work and a lot of effort. But I can tell you, coming from a person who thought that this marriage was too hard, too difficult, was unrepairable, could now be in a place where I can say that my marriage is one of the greatest blessings in my life. And I still want to wring his neck sometimes, and he still tests my patience. And that whole forgiveness thing has to happen for me often-ish, but we love each other. And he is my biggest cheerleader. He loves to see me succeed. He supports me in all that I'm doing. He wants me to be happy. He loves and and supports our children in the very same way. It's a very unconditional love that, that he's given me. And that isn't something that I really knew 
had to accept or was not comfortable with growing up because that's just wasn't the way I perceived love. Regardless of how it was given to me, I didn't know how to accept unconditional love freely. And to be able to give that to him and to genuinely be able to love him regardless of what he does or doesn't do, wow, that is huge for us. But it's it is a powerful example of what we can do when we're willing to look at ourselves, do the work that we need to do to heal the parts of us that are broken, and to be able to accept responsibility and accountability for ourselves is when we can have the best versions of ourselves to give to those that we love. And that's when our relationships really change for the better. And just this last May, we had the opportunity to celebrate our 26th year anniversary, like I mentioned earlier. And we had the best time. We went on a Baltic cruise. We went to seven different countries and just spent two weeks acting like teenagers. We were riding scooters in Sweden. We were, you know, taking boat rides in Norway, just just these adventures together and just laughing and genuinely enjoying being around each other. And I know now what I didn't maybe know as a young 18-year-old, what I needed is Talon. And I chose him then and I choose him now. And I'm so grateful that he stuck around through the bumps in the road because there's been plenty of bumps in the road. But here we are today, more in love than ever. I call it real love because it's real love. And it's not perfect love, but it's real love. Is that called, would you call it a real fairy tale? <laughs> a happily ever after. You know, the shift happened for me when is when my beautiful bride bought me a lazy boy. <laughs> and I really knew she loved me. <laughs> He'd been begging for one since the day we got married. And I said, no, 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 no. But finally, West Elm came out with a really cute leather recliner. <laughs> so it's not technically a lazy boy, but it does the trick. So, you know, we can all give a little, right? You know, wait, before you go on, Jennifer, just so everybody has a clear understanding our marriage has not been easy, and there's been some real dark days. But I, as I like, as I said before, a fairy tale. If you if you took a a clip of our life together, there is a there's a bunch of dark gut wrenching moments in our marriage. But the truth of the matter is, we've leaned on each other. We've been able to hold on tight and come out through the other end. And I'm telling you. Um, I've mentioned this before lately is uh, I have never felt this much love and joy for someone and has someone given it to me like my wife has in the past couple of years. I have seen someone fight and never give up and you can't replace that with anything. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Told you I'm a little bit of a crier. So maybe that's a good place to end is just that if you're in a place where maybe your marriage is difficult and don't give up, keep fighting. And there's always those times when sometimes the ending won't be the same as ours. And there's things that happen to marriages that are sometimes very difficult to repair. But I believe if there's two people that are willing to own their humanity, to give it all they've got, and to forgive I think it's possible for most marriages. And that is my wish and desire for those of you that are listening, that you have hope that no matter what is going on in your marriage, that you can turn the corner, that you can create something different. And it's a happy place to end up. And it's worth a fight and it's worth a struggle. 
Thanks for tuning in. Until next time, shine on. Thanks for listening to the Let It Glow podcast. If you enjoyed this show, share the love with a friend. This podcast can be found on iTunes or subscribe on my website at www.let-it-glow.com. And remember, let go and let it glow.